Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello again and welcome to episode number four of the Peer Project podcast, a podcast dedicated to yours, to mine, to everybody's mental health journey. My name is Chris Duke, uh, and before we get properly started, I want to say a massive thank you to everybody who tuned in, who downloaded, who streamed last week's episode. It was a wee bit of a strange one, um, for me anyway, because I was a subject of the podcast rather than the the, um, the interviewer, so it was, um, it was a bit strange, but thank you for all your lovely feedback as well. Um, and also thanks to Lorraine Kelly for coming on and interviewing me. It was... Um, it was an honour to be interviewed by Lorraine Kelly. Uh, moving on, though, this week we have uh, an amazing special guest. Um, you will probably know that I am a massive, massive wrestling fan. And when I heard that this lady was uh, a mental health advocate, um, I had to speak to her about it. She's had an, an unbelievable mental health journey. She battles bipolar. Um, she She lost her father. Um, to bipolar as well Um, she has turned her life around her career has just shot up um, as one of the top referees of All Elite Wrestling which you'll hear about as well Um, it's a fantastic chat and I really hope you enjoy it don't forget to like, rate and subscribe to the podcast it really really helps tell people about it if you're going to tell people about any podcast it's this one it's a really good chat um yeah so enjoy episode four of the peer project podcast with aubrey edwards i am i'm a huge wrestling fan and i am very passionate about mental health and then when i seen that that you were also very passionate about about mental health i figured be a very good time to get uh to get a chat with you yeah we're probably gonna have a lot of things in common with the uh the things we like to talk about and whatnot so i'm yeah. excited to be here yeah I, I'm, I'm i'm excited to have you um the the first thing i want to talk about i wanted uh, i want i need to get the wrestling fan stuff out right away <laughs> do what okay? you gotta do man yeah do what you gotta do and um, and I want I want to talk about what what you do because people who listen to my podcast aren't necessarily wrestling fans. Wrestling. Yeah. yeah, I am, but you know some some people um, aren't. And you are the one of the or the first female referee in, in mainstream wrestling. What's the 
they're going to tighten I'm your, one of the first. One of. Um, so it's, it's interesting because uh, wrestling is obviously a male-dominated uh, entertainment field. Both the performers in it are primarily male as well as our fan base is primarily male. So there haven't been any real like full-time female referees before, what was it, like three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And the other company had one uh, right around the same time I was starting. And I think she moved to SmackDown right around the time that we started AEW Dynamite. So it was sort of like, she was technically first. She beat me by like a couple of weeks. <laughs> and I love Jess. She's a friend of mine. Um, but then there's that, like, I feel like I would say that I have probably the most visibility. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's really great about AEW is uh, we sort of promote our referees as characters. Uh, traditionally, in the last couple of decades, referees have sort of become uh, background mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, their, their names aren't set on television uh, they all move in a very uniform fashion. Whereas if you watch something like UFC or even you know baseball or football or any of those sports, all of the referees have a sort of individualism to themselves. So this referee enforces this slightly differently. This referee is more strict on this specific thing. And AEW has kind of brought that back into wrestling, but also at the same time, allowing us to be who we are as characters. So the Aubrey character, for instance, is uh, a very no-nonsense doesn't take any crap from anybody. And then we have, say, the Rick Knox character, who is more of a happy-go-lucky tag team guy, lets everything fly. And then you've got Bryce Remsburg, who's kind of like big and fanciful. And <laughs> we all kind of like present uh, the role of refereeing slightly differently. So Ge- it's, genuinely it's been never an thought about trip. it like that. And I, I genuinely yeah. had, hadn't even noticed that in a, in a, in a good way, I guess. That, yeah, and, and it makes perfect sense that you guys have all have have your own individual characters, so to speak, or characteristics is maybe the mm-hmm. um, the best way to put that. Did you all is that what you wanted to be? Did you always want to be a referee, or did you did you train otherwise? <laughs> or <laughs> I uh, I actually didn't watch wrestling before uh, ten years ago. Okay. I never watched wrestling as a kid. Uh, my dad hated it and said it was fake, and we shouldn't waste our time on it. And, uh, I basically was a classical ballet dancer my whole life and I really wanted to make video games. So I danced classical ballet for, I think it was like 22 years before I finally retired. And I went to uh, college to get a bachelor's of science in computer science. So I'm originally like a huge nerd. I'm a programmer. I went into production, which in video games is essentially like more project management role. So you're taking the time and the people and the money and trying to make it all work because it's all just a big puzzle. And I had uh, done that for, you know, a good 10 years. That was my dream job, uh, per se. And I first time I had started watching wrestling was WrestleMania 27, randomly watching it with some friends who were trying to get back into it. And I was like, oh, this is interesting, but like literally don't know anything about it. Um, They keep talking about this guy, the undertaker and the streak. And I have no idea why this is important at all because I'm like, isn't wrestling predetermined? Like, why does a streak matter? Sort of a thing. Like not understanding the nuances of storytelling as a medium, right? Mm -hmm. Enter CM Punk and the pipe bomb. And that was sort of when it clicked for me as this ballet dancer who's been using my body my whole life to tell stories. I suddenly understood why wrestling was cool. And it was a, oh, these are performers who are literally using their bodies and their voices and who they are as people and who those people are as characters to tell stories. And it immediately clicked for me. And I just went full on like watching indies, traveling to watch wrestling shows, but still just straight up fan. 
And it was only back in 2017, uh, one of the local productions that I was uh, going to, I was there every two weeks, front row, yelling obscenities at the heels. And they had asked me if I had ever considered refing. I said, no, why would I do that? And they're like, we, we think you'd be good at it. And I had recently just retired from dancing. So I had, you know, all this free time uh, that I wanted to fill with something. So I tried it. I was terrible. I tried it again. It was a little bit better. Uh, I started training regularly, probably about two, three days a week. Did my first show. Let's see, I started training in May, did my first show in July of 2017. And then it literally just like took off. So by the end of the year, I was doing shows in Canada and California and Oregon. I'm in Washington state. Uh, so like all up and down the coast, I'm, I'm, and we're, we're driving like from Seattle to Vancouver is about four hours with a border crossing. So it's, it's a bit of a commitment. And then yeah. uh, August of the next year, I was doing WWE tryouts. The next year after that, I was on AEW television. So it all kind of like took off and it, it's, it's a story that, doesn't happen normally. I think it was just the perfect yeah. cross cross section of like opportunity and interest and drive. It just all kind of worked out. Yeah, and so you you, you skipped over something that I, that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? No, um, no, I'm curious which one you're going to pull up. Uh, so I I seen one of your first times appearing on wrestling TV, and you ended up being a little bit of a meme. Uh, oh, Daniel Bryan. Uh, yeah. So uh, there was a moment, and that was before I was ever a referee. So regardless of what people say, they're like, "Oh my god, you've always wanted to do this." I was like, "No." I at that point in time, when that happened, when Brian Danielson retired, mm-hmm. um, I was I bought tickets. A lot of people were like, "Oh, you go to tickets for?" I was like, "No, I paid three hundred fifty bucks." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "I I was a full on fan, right? Like there in my New Day shirt, everything, and." It for those that don't remember, like he had announced that day on Twitter he was retiring. So we're at the bar. I'm drinking a margarita bigger than my head, and I see on Twitter that he's retiring, and I'm just like, oh, oh God, what's what's gonna happen? And yeah, because he was my favorite wrestler. Mm-hmm. I, I like I, I talk about CM Punk being the guy that brought me in, but like Brian Danielson, I was just really really drawn to, and I really like technical wrestling. I really like mat based stuff. I think it's an interesting way to tell stories. There's just the way he had connected with the audience and then him kind of being from the same area I live. It's kind of like, oh, this is like a hometown hero type of guy. So, yeah, we're at the show and the show closes with his promo where he's retiring and, you know, thanking everybody. And I'm literally bawling my eyes out. Um, And there's a point where, like, the camera comes up to me and I'm just like in my head, oh, God. Oh God, what's happening? And I see the red light go on. And if you watch the gift back a couple of times, you see like my eyes kind of attached to it. Cause if you're not used to having a camera in your face all the time and a red light goes on, you kind of grab your attention, right? Yeah. But at that point, I'm just so like, I'm about to cry <laughs> independent of what is happening. And this camera's there. I'm like, well, here goes nothing. And I just yeah. start bawling <laughs> my eyes out because it's literally like that. And that's one of the coolest parts about wrestling, right? It's just, the fact that you can feel this sort of emotion, like the fact that this was taken away from him abruptly and he didn't really have a chance to process it yet being so grateful for everything that had happened. Like that's just the human experience. And that's one of the things that I really love about wrestling. And one of the things that I think people really, uh, really love about wrestling as well is just the fact that even though it is fanciful and crazy and we have people like, 
you know, Orange Cassidy and Danhausen and all these crazy characters, like you still have that, that human connection aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how cool is it now to work with folk like Punk and, and Brian? Considering it's, that it's these interesting. guys are heroes. <laughs> right? Uh, hero is a weird word because it's like, <laughs> uh, it, it's weird. Like, as you said, like they're my coworkers now, right? So working with Brian, like he's exactly the kind of guy you would think he is. Like he only cares about wrestling. He's talking about wrestling constantly. He's always thinking about wrestling and trying to figure out how like wrestling could be cool. He's like, oh, we could do this thing or this thing. Like, and Punk to me, like we talk about being like starstruck and stuff. Like Punk's been with our company since August and I'm still kind of like starstruck by him a little bit. Uh, he's also kind of a hard guy to read. So oftentimes I'm like, is he just mad at me all the time? And it's like, he's not. <laughs> but it's it's been really fun. I've gotten a chance to work with both of them on a couple occasions. Um, one of my favorite tag matches I've done was uh, a CM Punk and John Moxley versus FTR. Just absolutely incredible banger of a match. Yeah. And like, I would not have guessed in my right mind that when I started refing five years ago, that that would have been something I could have possibly done. That is mental. Um, I, I do. I, I, I want to get all the wrestling stuff out of the way because I know we've got other stuff to chat about, but I, I need to take advantage of the fact that I'm talking to you just oh, now. Oh, totally. Um, in the in the time that you've you've been with A, because AEW is you're still was it a relatively new um, company out there? Oh, no matter, absolutely. Yeah, no matter the impact that they're making, uh, and they're making a huge impact. Um, that they are still relatively new. Um, what, what's been your, okay, it's going to be hard to, to answer this, but what's been your, 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 your best experience so far? Maybe in the ring, your, uh, maybe the best match that you've worked in or, you know, just Whoa. something that stands out. Right. Um, there's a couple moments that stand out. Like for me, uh, one of the, uh, I, I can't not talk about the very first world title match. Like that's sort of like the big thing. And for those that don't um, maybe follow the show, like AEW Dynamite has been around two and a half years. We're not even at the three-year mark yet. So we're having our fourth pay-per-view as a company. Uh, I'm technically not a full-time employee. I'm still on a per-show contract. And the two guys in the first ever title match have both requested me, one of them being Chris Jericho, who's a legend in the business and has been around for 30 years. So uh, real intimidating. And then on top of that, like Dean Malenko is the agent. So like super intimidating. And then hangman who's, you know, now we see how, how hangman is, but back then it was like, this guy's going to be a star. Right. And now it's mm-hmm. like, he's, he has an incredible title run. Uh, he's in the middle of an incredible title run. So being the person that was asked to ref that match and having that much trust put in people who barely knew me, mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, to this day, I think like that's probably one of the most memorable moments for me. Uh, but there's also like other little things here and there. Like mm-hmm. um, I really liked, uh, like there's this moment where uh, it was back during the pandemic era, FTR versus private party in a tag match, just an unassuming tag match started dynamite. Uh, Tully Blanchard's on the outside and FTR are heels, private party are baby faces. And it's just a standard tag match with tag psychology FTR is trying to break the rules I'm getting distracted all these things and that moment I'm in that match and I just feel it clicking where I'm like tag team wrestling is legit 
Because tag team wrestling is hard. Like as a referee, you're basically yelling at dudes who play fight in their underwear. Sure. But (laughs) at the same time, like you're looking at them from the behind. You can't look at them from the front. So you have to predict where they're moving without any sort of like facial or bodily cues. You have to relay production information that's happening constantly. You have to make sure you're not blocking any cameras. You're basically doing 12 jobs at the same time, making sure that these guys can tell their story, right? So when you have a singles match, there's one thing, but all of a sudden when you have four people in the ring and you have to communicate with all of them and you have a limited amount of time you're on TV, like it's hard. And I distinctly remember that match just throughout it, everything just clicking and it making sense. And I'm like, man, tag team wrestling is the freaking coolest. And it's one of those things that like, it's not as sexy as something like refing the first ever world title match for a company, right? But for me as someone who is very passionate about the role of the referee and how the referee plays into what the wrestlers do, that was sort of a key moment in my career that I specifically remember. And there's, there's a ton of those. There's a ton of like little, mm-hmm. I could go on and on just about that, but those are two of them for you. So talk to me about um, your, and I, and I feel as if I'm just flipping the switch here, but uh, talk to me about your, your decision to go, almost go public with your, 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 your mental health um, issue, yeah. issues. Um, a few years ago, you, you uh, sent out a few tweets um, about it. Um, what, what led you to that decision? So one of the things that I've been trying to do as, as sort of the person who plays this character on TV, who doesn't take any crap from anybody, gets in people's faces is I'm still trying to be me and I'm still trying to be authentic and organic. Uh, and that is really, really hard to do online. So that itself is already kind of a challenge. And I think it was way we were doing some sort of partnership with like Bell over in Canada because they had like a, like a mental health day thing. And we were encouraged, Hey, if you want to tweet about this, you know, use this hashtag, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's 4am in the morning. I'm at the airport. I'm exhausted. I haven't slept yet. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Like if I'm supposed to talk about mental health and do it in a genuine way that people are actually going to take me seriously, why wouldn't I talk about my own personal experiences? And for those that don't know, uh, I'm diagnosed bipolar. Um, I have rapid cycling. So typically, like if you're on a scale of emotion, you're supposed to go from like six to four on occasion, like kind of stay around there. And with rapid cycling, I'm going from like a two to a nine constantly over the course of days. So that is all mitigated with medication. So if I don't admit to something like that, I feel like I'm not being my most authentic self if I talk about mental health. Cause there's only like so much that like therapy and being open and whatnot can do. Like sometimes you need medicine to get across things, mm-hmm. right? Like you need to take your car to the shop occasionally. Like it needs maintenance from time to time. Your brain's really important. It just needs maintenance. It needs an oil check every now and then. What was the, uh, what was the reaction like when you, when you first sent out those tweets? Uh, I, I, the reaction is initially really positive. Like people are very supportive. And I think part of it too is, Um, there's this stigma with mental health where people aren't open to talking about it or they don't want to admit like they have a problem. And in my mind, and this is my personal opinion, there's, there's ultimately two issues with that statement. Um, people have a hard time asking for help or they see like going to therapy as admitting that something's wrong. And that's not necessarily the case. Kind of using the car example, like you take your car to the shop to get it repaired and just get a diagnostic, make sure everything's okay. Right. 
it's fine to go to a therapist. You have an outside perspective kind of cluing in and asking questions just so you can kind of make sure everything's working correctly. And, you know, we all have moments in our life that are big or um, stressful and being able to work through these things in a safe environment with a medical professional is totally legit and fine. So it's one of those, I think when people talk about like the stigma against mental health, people are afraid to talk about it because they feel like there's something wrong with it. And what I'm trying to do is normalize it. Like it is okay that my brain is kind of funky. It is totally normal because what the hell is normal, right? Is normal like I don't have a mental illness? Like, no, because I've felt normal my whole life. So I think it kind of comes down to talking about it a little bit more. The other thing, and this is just my personal opinion, um, a lot of people, if I say like, oh yeah, I'm depressed, the immediate thing is, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm like, why? Like, my brain just sucks. (laughs) Don't be sorry. (laughs) So it's one of those, like, I don't always need sympathy. Uh, and I think it's one of those, I was talking to Amanda Huber about this, who's, uh, someone who works at AEW, um, uh, wife of the late, uh, John Huber. We have a very similar sense of humor and it's both very dark and we make fun of, uh, things that kind of make people uncomfortable, but it's one of those, like, uh, I was like, yeah, if I'm depressed and people are like, well, is there anything I can do? And I'm like, uh, you can speed time forward. So my brain stops like kicking my ass. Like, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Taking my meds, meat right. I'm getting like food sometimes this shit just kind of happens right and i think it's one of those if you talk about it the same way that you would if you had a cold like oh i have a cold okay well just take care of yourself that's fine it's it's literally just that so it's it's an interesting response to see people being super positive but for me and everyone's everyone's situation is different so maybe some people do need that level of empathy but i'm just like no i just want people to know that like my brain sucks today that's it so you you obviously do a lot of social media, um, and you can mm-hmm. you can see that through your through your your Twitter and your your Instagram and stuff. And it it it's not um it's no secret that sometimes wrestling fans can be a bit uh passionate, overly passionate. Passionate's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um. How how does that affect you? Do, I mean, do you do you take any of that on board, or is it? Are you, are you just kind of, oh, these are just words on a screen? Uh, I think oh. it is impossible to say that if someone says something to you on Twitter that maybe falls under like a negative or a mm-hmm. criticism or something, it is impossible to say that that doesn't affect you. It is easy to say that it rolls off me much better than it used to. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those, as humans, a thousand people could give me a compliment and then one person makes fun of my appearance and that's literally the only thing I've focused on. Because we're just kind of taught, like, you have to focus on the thing that's wrong. Everything's terrible. And, like, as people in wrestling, like, our egos are massive. So <laughs> it can be damaged. And then all of a sudden you have to worry about this whole aspect of, like, oh, my God, you know, people hate me, blah, blah, blah. And I think just generally as a woman on the Internet who's in a very public role, like, I end up getting a lot of tweets that are very, like, they make fun of my appearance, um, there's a lot of complaints that I get that I notice that my male, uh, ref coworkers don't get. Uh, there's just a lot of like hate thrown in my direction and it all kind of falls under the same thing. So I had someone ask me recently, like, well, what, what kind of things do people say? And I'm like, oh, people send me gifts of horses. Cause they say I have a really long nose and I have a very toothy smile. So I look like a horse. And it's like the fact that I just know that, right. Because it's the kind of shit that people just send to me on Twitter and it's awful. It's mm-hmm. terrible. I hate it. But I'm also very quick to use the block button now. 
and I'm also very fortunate that um, I have a husband who helps me with this. And part of it is I'll post something on Twitter and I'll mute the conversation so I don't get the notifications. And then once a week, my husband sends me an email with all the accounts I need to block. And those are basically all the jerks that are saying things on my Twitter that really shouldn't be there. And part of it isn't necessarily just so I don't see it, but it's so other people don't see it. Mm -hmm. Because social media ends up being this echo chamber and someone will say something negative and then someone else will respond to it. And then it just sort of spirals and gets out of control. And it's terrible. And I would rather those people not take something that I'm trying to do as a positive and turn it into a negative. Like I want people when they go to my timeline to only have positive things or the things that I'm intending to actually put out there. I don't want like vitriol and other things to, to pollute it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I find um, particularly interesting about, about social media is, and sometimes because I, I had a, a, a pretty, um, even though it was local radio, I was, I was well known in the area. And, um, and if people were saying negative things about, about me, I particularly, I, I couldn't just use the block button or I couldn't just use the mute or whatever, because I had to know what these people were saying. You know, it was one of those things. And if you, is that, is that something that you've, that you've come across? I know you said you've got your husband who kind of gives you the list, block all these people. That's it. But right. if that was me, but personally, if that was me, I would then take this list and go, okay, here's a profile I need to visit. Okay. What are they saying about me here? Oh, okay. And then that's one notch down next one. And that would just bring me down, 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 further down. Oh, Curiosity, I, just, I don't even you know. bother looking at the profile. Like yeah. he'll give me a list of people. I'll, I'll go and immediately block it. I won't look and see what they said. I won't see what, who they're talking to or what they are. It's like, okay, I just trust him because it kind of comes back to mental health, right? Mm -hmm. The thing we're talking about. And it doesn't do me a service to take bullshit from people that don't matter. Like there's one thing to be said about constructive criticism and someone can say, oh, I think it would be better if you did this and this and this. Great. That's fine. But that's constructive. That's not people telling me that I'm awful and I should get off TV because I'm a terrible referee. Like there's nothing like no actual feedback to take from there. And ultimately there's context to things, right? Like if Chris Jericho gives me some feedback of what I need to do in a match, I'm clearly going to pay attention to that as opposed to some random jerk on Twitter. So there's, there's a little bit of give and take. And even though we're encouraged to, you know, we have social media, we need to engage in our fans. Like, I want to engage in a way that's worth it for me because at the end of the day, I have to worry about me and my mental health. I'm not sacrificing my ability to exist in this world just to make people happy who don't have a profile picture and have a bunch of numbers following their name. You know what I mean? Yeah. So other than, you know, blocking out the negative thing and, that, and that's a great thing to do. And that's something that a lot of people need to kind of take on board is, you know, get rid of the, the negativity in your life and you know that will that will help things um what what other things do you do to look after you oh boy um i would say there's there's three big things that i've noticed over the course of how long was it i got diagnosed something like 11 or 12 years ago but since then there's essentially like three things that i need to essentially be working on all the time uh i need to work out i need to eat well and i need to get enough sleep which uh, are all things that are very, very difficult to do in the wrestling business. So learning how to do all of those while I was making video games full time, great. Now all of a sudden I change careers when I'm 30. <laughs> and now I have to really learn how to do all these things, right? So the working out one's really easy because you know we have to stay physically fit to do what we do. 
uh, I'm in a ring moving around at, you know, a drop of a hat because there's giant men who are over six feet tall barreling towards me. Like I have to be quick on my feet. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to be in shape. I have to be able to go, you know, 30, 60 minutes in a ring at any given time. So there's that, that, that one's easy. Knock that one out of the park. Uh, the eating well thing is difficult because let's say it's super late. Uh, we taped rampage. So we're done at 1130. We get back to the hotel at midnight. Now I want to eat. Oh, well, all the hotels, restaurants are closed. Okay. What's the only thing that's open? Well, Taco Bell does DoorDash. So let's uh, try that. And then you end up eating like crap, right? So it's a lot of planning and making sure you're getting the right things for your body. Um, over the course of time, I've gone from, you know, normal diet to vegetarian. I've, I've been vegan the last three years and that one's been really helpful, but understanding that like sugar is still vegan and there's some really good non-dairy ice creams in the world. <laughs> Just because it's vegan doesn't mean it's good for you. So it's making sure your body's getting the right amount of nutrients, right? Uh, and the third one, which is probably the hardest with the lifestyle that we lead is sleep. So that's been the biggest struggle for me most recently. And I've noticed I've had little bouts of depression a lot more. It's honestly tied to the days where I'm not sleeping a lot. So uh, if I have an early flight out, which say I did this Thursday, for an example, uh, we get back to the hotel, I get about an hour of sleep before I have to wake up, shower, pack, head to the airport, get on a plane, don't really sleep well, I'm flying a total of eight hours, maybe got like an extra two hours of sleep on that. So it's like already I'm running at a huge deficit. So now I have to suddenly get eight hours of sleep tonight to make sure that I'm doing that. But now I feel guilty because I'm behind on the rest of my day. So trying to like do that constant battle of doing the things I know I need to do to avoid getting depressed, but also still existing in a society where I don't feel guilty. <laughs> it's really hard. It's a constant mm -hmm. struggle. And it's hard because people only see like the final product, right? They see me on TV with all my makeup yelling at dudes. They don't see all of these daily struggles that you end up going through. So you mentioned earlier um, the fact that you are, you're very close to uh, Amanda Huber. Mm -hmm. um, and for people who don't know, um, Amanda um, is, or, or how would you say, is married. She, she, she's the widow. She's the widow of uh, John John Huber, um, who is uh, who is Brody Lee. He passed away suddenly a few a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, well, to to us fans, it was suddenly. I, I know it was kind of it was more known to to you guys. Um, were you close to John? Uh, I actually wasn't. I had gotten the chance to work with him a couple of times, um, but I hadn't really had the chance to get to know him. I just knew that when he wasn't a terrifying presence in the ring, he was one of the silliest, funniest guys that I'd ever met. He was always smiling and laughing and uh, just playing jokes with people. And he really was an incredible person at AEW. And I think that's where he finally like felt like he could be him, both as a person mm -hmm. and a wrestler. And he was having a lot of success. So hearing that he was, you know, getting sick and wasn't getting better and all the things that we had to go through, like it, it was rough. And I've been really fortunate to get to know Amanda after John's passing. Like she works in our, um, our community outreach mm -hmm. department. So she's constantly working with local organizations. Uh, the idea is that we need to leave uh, wrestling better than it was when we got here. And we want to do good when the cameras aren't always on. So we want to visit places and make them better and not just come in, take their venue, make a bunch of money and leave, right? Like we want to do good for the world. So she's doing a lot of that. And a lot of what her goals are, are actually 
you know, kind of, there's a Venn diagram almost a lot of the stuff that I'm doing with uh, AEW Heels, which is our female focused uh, fan club. Mm-hmm. We do a lot of things about like reaching out diversity and making sure that we're working with all these different kinds of groups and factoring inclusion and just making everything feel awesome for all kinds of wrestling fans, not just your typical wrestling fan. So Amanda and I are in meetings together a lot during the week. And it's just been really great to see someone who like has gone through a tragedy so publicly and seeing her thriving and uh, her kids are hilarious. They come on the road sometimes and little Nolan, who's like five is just awesome. And then Brody who's 10 is uh, a monster. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I am. I am astounded by that kid. Um, Brody yeah. Jr. <laughs> uh, I mean, 10 years old and he is, you know, he's, he's a regular TV character. He's on TV yeah. all the time. Um, and he th- loves it. Yeah. And this is one thing that, that I wanted to talk to you about as well, because obviously AEW and, and, and Tony Khan um, seem to be very um, active in looking after their, their talent, you know, mm-hmm. whether, whether, whether it be, you know, whether it be financially, whether it be emotionally, uh, medically, you know, there's, there's lots of um, really, really good things happening. And the one thing that stands out to me is the fact that Brody Jr., is is very active amongst AEW, um, and that obviously helps him, and it will help him mentally as well, and it'll help him yeah. grow as a person. Um, mm-hmm. So, how does uh, how does AEW as a company, and maybe Tony as a CEO or whatever his title is, I forgive me, I forget. Um, how do they how do they look after the talent, in in terms of uh, men- mentally? Um, there's. I mean, I can't speak to individual circumstances other than my own because yeah. a lot of that is private on, you know, of course, in, yeah. yeah, HIPAA, all that kind of stuff. Um, I know personally, like I've had a couple instances where kind of things uh, happen that sort of stick with you. Like if someone gets injured or whatever, um, it's, it's wrestling, it's predetermined, but occasionally an injury happens and it's nobody's fault, but that sort of kind of stuff affects you a little bit. So being able to find resources like particular doctors that can be able to help talk to us about those uh, unique situations, because it's not just a sport and it's not just media. It's this weird combination of both and to find medical professionals who kind of understand what it is we do is rather challenging. So we have staff that's been able to help me in particular work through some of the things that I've gone through. And I've heard that, you know, uh, other people have gone through other things and whatnot. Like we're, we're putting ourselves out there, both mentally, physically, emotionally that can wear on us. Uh, so I know that they've done a lot of help work to help me kind of when I'm struggling with individual things. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I don't know of a lot of specific instances. I just know that anytime something happens, you hear someone say like, man, yeah, they've been really, really helpful. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. So, one of the things that I want to to bring up with you is you'd mentioned in your, in, in your initial tweet uh, that, that we spoke about earlier that you, your, your, your dad lost mm-hmm. his battle um, yeah. to bipolar. Are you yeah. able to talk a wee bit about that? I'm totally able to talk about it. Um, and I can speak on it frankly. So this might kind of rub people the wrong way. So little, little trigger warning. This is a story about suicide. Um, but I was young. I think by the time he finally passed away, it was like right before I turned 13. Um, and for, for a very long time during my childhood, he had also had bipolar. Um, and it had been a struggle that he and my mom were working through. And big testament to my mother that as a, a parent of two young girls, because my sister's four years younger than me, uh, she's keeping us up to date on sort of what is happening and, you know, the positives, the negatives, the worst case scenarios, the best case scenarios in a way that is not scary, but in a way that prepares us for potential worst case, Um, which the worst case was that he ended up killing himself. And it really sucks. Uh, It really, really sucks. I can't, I can't stress that anymore. And part of that is he was on medication as he, as soon as he would get better, he says, well, I'm better now. I don't need it. And it's like, oh, that's not the case. <laughs> and medication's rough, right? Like everyone's on something different. I think he was on lithium, which is a hard drug, but like everything works different with other people. Like I've got friends who have a lot of success with Prozac. Prozac does not work for me. Like I'm on Lamictal and Wilbutrin. So it's everyone. We have so many people in the world. Everyone is so different. Everyone needs something else, right? So he unfortunately ended up hitting to a point where he, he took his own life and it was, it was an unfortunate situation. Like I remember the day it happened, I was actually babysitting and I was babysitting for my dad's boss's kids, <laughs> funny enough. And uh, they dropped me off at the end of the night. I walk up to my house and I see there's a cop car out front. I'm like, huh, that's weird. Uh, walk in the house, see a cop and a social worker. And I immediately knew what had happened. And there's something to be said, just kind of another shout out to my mom. There's something to be said about when you're a 12 year old girl walking into a house and you see this cop and a social worker and you know, kind of what that means. Like you hit that worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, I, we went, we were in therapy. Um, 
it's, it's a very, very rough situation. I took some time off from school. Um, but testament to my mother, she had been a stay at home mom, uh, my entire life. And at that point immediately went back to school, got a job in it, which is not a very, um, uh, welcoming field to women, especially women who are older and have two kids who haven't been working for the better part of a decade. So, uh, my actual childhood wasn't really impacted. We stayed in the same house. Um, I, I still did all the same activities that I did. I still did really well in school. Um, my mom helped me pay for college. Like there was all of these things that happened. So it's one of those, it's a moment in my life that was really terrible. And I have a lot of really positive memories of my childhood with my dad. Um, but that being said, bipolar is a hereditary illness. So there was always kind of the chance that either like me or my sister could, could develop it eventually. And I was in, I think it was my early twenties or so when I started to kind of go, Hmm, my life's really good. Like I've got a nice marriage. I live in a nice house. I, my job's great. Like, why do I feel like shit all the time? Oh yeah. That little thing. Okay. <laughs> so I know it's a very frank way to discuss it, but sort of that's, that's what happened. And that's one of the things that can occur, unfortunately. And, you know, it, it sucks. Uh, I would really love my dad to still be here. I feel like my husband and him would get along really, really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was just saying that the other day, they have like a very similar sense of humor. Uh, so there's all these things that like coulda, woulda, shoulda. Um, would things have been different? Yeah. Um, I feel like he's the kind of guy that would have flown to literally every episode of Dynamite and just yelled obscenities at all of the heels. That sounds, uh, I, I, I think that, that would have been, um, would have been really would have been really cool. Um, you were right about the trigger warning there because you've you've floored me with that story as well. Um, are you concerned that uh, concerns maybe not the right word, but are you? Um, what's the word I'm trying to think about? Are you are you are you afraid about what's what lies ahead for you in the future, or do you believe that you have got what? like you've got it under control. Do, 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 do I, what I get saying? what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, I think because I've lived in the situation I have, like I've seen the worst side of what suicide can do. Uh, I know how that affects literally everyone in your life. And it is something that I'm going to have to carry with me for the rest of my life. And thinking about it, I, I am one of those people that I don't ever want to put the people I love through something like that. Um, I've, I've never attempted suicide. I've, I've take my, my drugs religiously every morning and every night. Uh, I make sure that I don't skip them because I know how absolutely vital and important it is. Um, and I think that's kind of like, I don't know if you could say a silver lining of, you know, my dad's death, but like being taught that like, Hey, if you take this stuff seriously, you can take care of yourself. And it's just something that I end up having to manage the same way that I need to make sure that I take my vitamins every day. Mm -hmm. It's like, these are just very, very specific vitamins that help kind of balance me out a little bit. So whilst you've actually, whilst your journey to get here has been, you know, a pretty, you, you said a pretty shitty journey to get mm-hmm. here and, and certain parts of it were, 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 were pretty shitty. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that has made you what you are today. And 100%. Now, and now you are you're using your platform. You are using your your not, your notoriety. No, notoriety. It's late over here. Forget, leave me. Um, <laughs> you're you're now using that to help to help other people. And yeah. 
that must be, I mean, that, that must be pretty cool to know that, you know, you, you, you were what you were developing video games just a few years ago. And I still now, am technically. Yeah. Well, actually I do have to ask you about that, but that's a different thing. Um, it's a different podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, do you ever get that kind of like an imposter syndrome that, one hundred percent. Talk about it's oh, yeah. big time, big time. Um, I've, I've, I heard, I heard actually CM Punk say it on a podcast once that um, everyone who is successful has imposter syndrome. They're just much better about shutting up the voice in their head that tells them they can't do it, and that's ultimately what it is. Like mm-hmm. a lot of times, something will happen. Like going back to the world title thing, where I'm like, I have this world title. It's like, why? I've literally been doing this two years. I don't deserve this. Like there's so many other people that could be in a better position. And it's just shutting that voice up and saying, no, I've worked here. I've worked to get here. People have noticed me. They know I'm talented and they want to give me this opportunity. Like it's, it's purely like, it's not just like medicine only does so much for mental health. Right. And medicine doesn't work for everybody, but there's a lot of things that you have to do to kind of like, teach yourself to think a specific way. Like it's okay that I'm successful because I work really, really hard. There's a lot of times where I'm in disbelief where I feel like I don't necessarily deserve something. But once you sort of sit back and look at the broader picture of things, it's like, Oh, okay, this can work. So I still have a little bit here and there. I'm much better at managing it, but definitely way back in the day when I was younger. And I think part of it is just like, as you grow older and you become more comfortable with yourself, and I think as you like become jaded and bitter about things, it's a lot easier to be like, yeah, whatever. Um, I'm also just traditionally a very logically minded person. I have a very good ability to separate sort of the emotional from the logical. Like this is just the situation. This is what it is, regardless of how I feel about it. Here are the facts. So. Um, but also what I mean is, um, you know, the fact that you are, you are in a position to help other people with their, with their mm-hmm. mental health as well. And you have, whether you, you know it or not, you will have had an effect on someone's life somewhere. 100%. Even even just the fact that you were you were open about bipolar on on social media, and that 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 surely must must baffle you as well that you can have that it's, impact on someone's insane. life. It's insane, and it's it's never something that you think like, oh, this one, the worst possible thing that has ever happened in my life ends up being something that truly benefits somebody, right? But like the idea of the understanding of a worst case, it potentially becoming something that you might yourself have to struggle with. And then being able to share that with other people in a way, there's so many people in the world and you forget that we all have shared experiences. It's that line of um, everyone is fighting an invisible battle. So that's why I like talking about it as much as I do, because I'm a very happy go lucky person. I'm very outgoing. I look like I have my shit together. I don't. (laughs) A lot of times I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Right. But it's the reality of, we only see the very polished version of things on TV. We see the best possible thing, but knowing that there are things happening behind the scenes is, is really truly impressive. Like for instance, just to to share with this, when we filmed battle of belts last week, Mm -hmm. I was extremely depressed to the point that if someone came up to me and was like, Hey, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And I would just start crying. And I'm like at work, I need to do the women's title match with Nyla and Thunder. I, I need to like figure out how to kind of lock it in. And it was the first time I ever had to like actually ref on TV in a complete and emotional disarray, <laughs> but nobody saw that. They just saw me come out and do my job. And that is really, really hard 
to do, to be able to like be the best at your job. Cause that earlier in the night, I roughed a six man with the gun club, Brian Danielson, Moxley, Yuta. So it's like you have some of the biggest names in wrestling. And it's like, I, I don't really have the time to be depressed and mm-hmm. be in myself. I just kind of have to like go. And I made a good decision. I went to bed early that night, uh, made sure that I've been eating well, uh, got, got to the gym the next day. So I'm like doing what I can to help out. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't control it all the time, but being open and being able to talk about those things. Like I had someone come up to me like, what do you need right now? I'm like, I need you to go away. Like, I'll talk to you later. I'm not being like rude. I'm literally like, if we talk about this, I'm just going to keep getting emotional. I'm like, cannot mess up my makeup. It's like, okay, cool, great. And that's really what it is. It's being able to talk about it and understand that everybody kind of approaches things differently. And mm-hmm. whatever I'm saying, I'm sure someone's going to listen to this conversation and something's going to resonate. They go, oh, I totally didn't get it, but that's totally me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's fascinating to know that like, I can talk about something as simple as like, this is my every day, but that could cause someone to go, wow, yeah, I didn't even think about it that way. Now let me go find out how that applies to my individual situation. Mm-hmm. Um, just bear with me one second. My wife is mad at me because she thinks I drank <laughs> her last Diet Coke. Um, it's not. This, is, this one was sitting here. Your last one's still in the fridge. Okay. Anyway, um, and so my next question, and the reason I'm asking this question is because I, I have got an example of this in my own life. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I want to ask, I want to see how a similar situation affected you. So um, about 12 years ago, um, my wife, or my, my, she was my girlfriend at the time, um, pregnant uh, with my, my first child. And we decided to get married um, about two months before our, our child was born. So a month later, we, we have a really small ceremony and um, we get married. And then that night, my wife goes into labor. Mm-hmm. Which means, <laughs> That's one hell of a wedding. <laughs> yeah. Which means I, I essentially went from being um, single with no kids to being married with a child in the space of 24 hours. Yep. And I got hit really, really badly with postnatal depression which is unusual. Well, it's unusual for me to talk about it, but it's, it's very common. Um, so because something like that, a major change in my life happened so quickly, then I had this, this, um, this depression that, that really hit me. It ended up, you know, obviously I'm here now and I'm doing this and it's, it's it, a happy ending, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Your career, your wrestling career, your referee career, career took off really, really quickly. And before you knew it, you're on international TV um, in yep. front of millions of people every week. And you've got this new fame, yep. this new notoriety. How, how did you cope with that? And how did that affect you mentally as well? I think the biggest thing is I took a lot of lessons from my prior career in video games. Uh, there's a thing that we like to talk about called pro- post-ship depression. Like you work on a video game for potentially multiple years. This is your baby in a sense. Mm-hmm. And then you finish it, you send it off into the wild. And then the thing you have literally been pouring your heart and soul into for years is done. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, because video games is such a tumultuous, volatile industry, half your friends probably get laid off. And it's so unfortunate because this thing that you absolutely love to do, it's like, oh, all of a sudden you're in this very jarring space. So I remember even some of the games that I worked on and shipped, like feeling just absolutely terrible after. And that's totally fine because your life is changing. Like... I think the thing that people forget about with depression is it's okay to be sad. 
sad and depression are completely different things. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be sad. Like we're supposed to feel emotions. That's part of the human experience. And that, that's what makes humans awesome, right? Is that you can't know what happy feels like if you don't know what sad feels like, but it's understanding what is the cause of that sadness, right? Like, did your life literally change in 24 hours? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's not going to be something you can adjust to right away. Right? Like I end up getting to be like this right around pay-per-view time. Like pay-per-views are super like awesome. We've got multiple events leading to the days up. And then as soon as we're done, I'm like, Oh, but it's like, that's not going to mean that I can't get excited about pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. I just know that it's a way that like my body reacts to it. It's um, when I was shipping elite general manager last summer, it was literally the second week we were back on the road after the pandemic. And I was just a, a ball of stress. I was, I was trying to deal with this like marketing campaign and doing all these things. And then the game came out and it had a really successful launch, but then I felt like absolute shit. And I had a buddy call me and say, Hey, I just want to remind you, this is a thing that used to happen all the time when you made games and you might've forgotten about it because you've been in wrestling. And now you have the problem of being on the road all the time, losing sleep, but you have this other thing that you're also doing. So. And there we are full circle again, back to looking after your sleep. Mm-hmm. You know, you're losing sleep and look at that. You're starting to get, to get down and depressed again. Yep. Um, so over here in the UK, AEW is uh, is on it's on fight. We've got the fight. We we have the fight app over here as well, so we we get mm-hmm. to to watch AEW that, and I believe it's also on ITV, um, which is one of our terrestrial terrestrial TV channels. Yeah. Um. So, if someone who is, you know, who grew up watching, you know, Hulk Hogan, Undertaker, WWE, WWF, all that sort of stuff, and they want to try something new. How would you sell AEW to them? I think AEW is just this fantastical uh, thing where stories are told uh, by different people with different backgrounds. And you have people like Eddie Kingston, who has been in wrestling for 18 years and finally got his opportunity, but he's had a rough life. You have Mm -hmm. guys like Orange Cassidy, who's this, you know, lackadaisical sloth. You have guys like Kenny Omega, who is the best wrestler in the world. You have people like Brett Baker, who's trying to do two full-time jobs, being an actual practicing medical dentist and a wrestler at the same time. You have people like Chris Statlander, who's an actual like weightlifter, who's also doing things. You have Jade Cargill, who has a child who is five years old, five or six at this point, but looks she looks like an actual statue. Like you have all these individual things and all these individual struggles that these people are going through and you get to see them be their absolute best in front of thousands of people. And that is just really, really cool to watch. It's like, do you like rock concerts? Do you like uh, soap operas? Do you like explosions? Do you like violence? Do you like all those things? You probably actually like wrestling too. You just don't know it yet. Yeah, it's uh, I genuinely, and I mean, and I mean this, uh, and I'm not, I'm not just blowing smoke here because I'm actually talking to to AEW talent here. But um, one thing that I really enjoy about watching AEW on on TV, especially the weekly TV shows as well, is that you don't give us a chance to get bored. No, no, <laughs> God, I think I I think it was a few weeks ago. It was a dynamite. A few weeks ago and by the end of the show i was beat and i was just watching it yeah imagine if you're in the show <laughs> yeah I, I, <laughs> I can't even imagine um 
Uh, listen, before we wrap up, just uh, let, let us know about your socials, like where we can find you and, uh, and, and, and stuff like that, if anybody wants to reach out to you. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Ref Aubrey, uh, for both of those. You can uh, follow AEW Dynamite. We're on uh, Dynamites on Wednesdays, Rampage on Fridays. Uh, if you wanted to catch something on YouTube, we have new episodes of Elevation every Monday, uh, new episodes of Dark every Tuesday. Uh, I talk about things like mental health and cats and uh, makeup and all these kind of like I'm a I'm a smorgasbord of interests. So follow me on social media. Uh, I'm also the co-host of our official podcast, which comes out every Thursday. Uh, new episodes on all of your favorite podcast platforms, and then we release video versions on Mondays on YouTube. So there's a lot of places you can find me. Uh, I talk about a lot of random stuff. So uh, let's be friends. Thank you once again to Aubrey Edwards and the team at AEW for helping us put this interview together. I did have a wee chat with um, with one of the the heads of AEW after this interview, and he said he is going to try and line up some more um, interviews uh, of wrestlers who who can contribute to the podcast and I'm very open about the mental health so I am looking forward to to doing that with them in the future Um, remember like, rate and subscribe to uh, the podcast to the YouTube channel um, particularly on social media as well find me Duke Writes Books and tell me what you want to hear on this podcast because that is what's most important that's the reason that we're doing this it's for you Um, thank you once again for downloading and for listening look after yourself And I'll see you next time on the Peer Project Podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.